Come on, do me a favor. Stand your feet. Welcome somebody to church on the North Coast today. Welcome them in the name of the Lord. We're so glad you're with us today. So glad you're here today. Make somebody feel welcome. We welcome you here today. Hey, this is your, if this is your first time, do we have any first-time guests here with us today? If you see somebody that you know for certain is a visitor, let them know that you're happy that they're here. Welcome them. Raise your hand for them all over the, all over the building. We have a little gift from us to you. We just want to say welcome to Church on the North Coast. All those watching online, uh, we want to welcome you as well. Do me a favor if you got your phone with you. I know you do. Get on Facebook or whatever social media you uh, operate in and, uh, and share this, this service today. My wife and I will be ministering together on faith, and uh, I think it'll help those who listen and watch it. And so I'm, I'm so happy you're here. I see some of my, my family that's here today. I love you. Uh, it it uh, blesses me. It blesses me uh, anytime my family is in the room. And so I, I make all of our first-time guests feel welcome this morning. Come on, put your hands together. Welcome today. Uh, in front of you is a QR code. And if you'd like to be uh, informed on what's happening here at Church on the North Coast, you can just scan that QR code, and that'll help you stay uh, current with what we're doing, all of the events and activities that, that take place here at Church on the North Coast. It also enables you to, uh, to give. It allows you to be able to give. Um, one of the announcements that I want to bring to the forefront today is the Jesus Movement uh, Outreach. We're going to have a movie uh, in the sanctuary on June 30th at 7 o'clock. And what I want you to do is to invite your friends and your family. And, and I promise you that if you invite them, uh, this movie, I've never in my life felt the presence of the Lord in such a tangible way as I did when I watched this movie. I went into the movie. I think Christian movies are kind of corny. Not kind of. They are absolutely corny. And so I, whenever my wife wants to watch them, I tolerate them. And so the, uh, Dawn, Pastor Dawn uh, bought some tickets, and then we all went one night. And I walked into the movie theater, like, kind of making fun of, you know, of, of the movie. I was like, this is going to be corny, uh, you know. And man, five minutes in, a presence of the Lord punched me in the jaw. I was crying. I was, I was bent over in my seat. I, could, I was trying to hide it, but after a while, you know, Jesus jumps on you so good. You, you, I started breathing heavy. It, I mean, uh, Elder, Elder Marty was there. I, was, I, felt, I felt like embarrassed. Like, uh, uh, uh. I, was, I was doing that, 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 that ugly cry that the noise attached. You know, uh, uh, uh. I was doing that throughout, trying to, trying to like, I was like, Jesus, get off me, man. That's too much. That's too, that's too much. That's too much, you know. Man, it didn't matter. Fifteen minutes after the movie was ended, I was still, I was in my coat having an altar call with Jesus. I'm telling you, never in my life have I ever felt Jesus like that on a movie. And I promise you, you just, you just come watch it. I guarantee you, I guarantee there will be an altar call that night unprovoked. People will just be like, what must I do to be saved, you know? Amen. So bring him that night, 7 o'clock. Um, I need to receive the offering today. And if you could back there. Um, take your Bibles with me. How many of you have a Bible with you today? You, you have one with you? 
Man, you guys are champions. Paper, Bible. Hey, you know there are two types of people in the world. I just discovered this. I've known it for a minute, but it really, it's really reinforced in the, in the summer months. How many know this to be true? There are two types of people in this, in this world. There are windows down people and windows up people. Now, all you windows down people, I'm trying to figure out what's going on with you. Don't you have air conditioning? You just want everybody to know what's happening in your car? Driving out, you want bugs and everything else flying in your vehicle? You don't, you don't want to hear things? You just, like, you just like that noise? There are people who like windows down and people who like windows up. And how many, just, just out of curiosity, I want to know. If you are a windows down person, raise your hand. I never knew. I never knew. Y'all are weird. Y'all are weird. You can't hear the music that good with the windows down. The air conditioning is lovely. Yeah. Oh, you play the, oh, so it's, it's an evangelistic. I see, I see. I didn't know that. I didn't know that. I didn't know we was doing that to save people. Now I know. That's, that explains, windows down explains bumper stickers and uh, everything. So take your Bible. Take your Bible and, and go with me to uh, Hebrews 11.9. I want to show you something today as we receive the offering. Um, Hebrews 11.9. Oh, look at that. What I want to encourage you to do today is uh, is don't settle for a small promise. Because I want you to know, if you settle for a small promise, your children will inherit a lesser promise. If you live, how you live in faith will, will determine how your children live in faith. And, and what, man, when I read this, I thought, man, this is amazing. It says, by faith, he dwelt in the land of, he dwelt in the land he lived in promise. Abraham lived in promise. He didn't wait for a promise. He lived in promise. And if I could tell you anything today, is stop putting off the promise for tomorrow and start living in your promise today. Start living in promise. That he dwelt in a land. Everything around him was promise. It didn't matter what, what came in front of him. He lived. He, he breathed promise. He saw promise. He touched promise. Everywhere he went was a promise. He lived in a land of promise. And he did it like he was in a foreign country. And, and man, if that don't speak to us today, that God's called his people to live in promise regardless of what the land around us look like, the, the, regardless of what the, the government's doing, regardless of what your neighbor's doing. He said, you, you have the ability to live in a land of promise. Dwelling in tents, and here's the good part, where he lived in the land of promise, and because he lived in the land of promise, Isaac and Jacob lived in the land of promise. They didn't live in the land of sickness and disease. They didn't live in the land of lack. They lived in the land of promise. We know this. Look what it says. They were heirs with him of the same promise. And I want to encourage you today to, to grab hold of a promise so big that it, 
that, that your children, you take four generations with you into that promise. And well after, well after you go to the grave, well after you're gone, the land of promise will be established for you and your children and their children and their children. I'm telling you, church of the living God, you have the ability to, to grab hold of a promise within this foreign territory called the world. And you can, you can establish a land of promise and live in it so effectively that four generations later, your children live in that promise. And I don't care what it looks like today. I don't care what your children are doing today. It doesn't matter to me. I just want, you, I just want to put your attention and all of your focus on the land of promise. And I want to encourage you today and I want to challenge you today to grab hold of a promise so big that it, that it grabs hold of the neck of your children when you're, when you're good and gone, when you're out of this world, that it grabs hold of the neck of your children, pulls them out of uh, whatever affliction that comes in, whatever circumstance defies it. I want to encourage you today to grab hold of a promise today that's so big that looks looks crazy God how could you do it how could you do it have the courage have the courage to grab hold of a promise and not let go you know what happens we let go and I want to caution the church stop letting go stop Stop being so milk toast with your faith. Stop being so, so, so affected by the wind of adversity in your faith. Make a decision today. Like today's the day I establish a promise. I grab hold of it for me and my children. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. We're going to live in the land of promise. Set your heart on a promise so big it grabs your children well after you're gone. Amen. So as you give today, I want to remind you of what God has promised church on the north coast. He said, I'm going to give you 30,000 souls. I'm going to start a revival in your time. I'm going to fill the earth with my glory, and nobody will be able to deny it. I want to, I want to remind you of the, uh, of the promise that God has given us. He said, every one of your members will be homeowners. They will be home. They won't, the banks won't own them. When famine comes to the land, Isaac, you're going to sow. When everybody else come, when everybody else tries to sow, Isaac sowed, and he reaped a hundredfold in the land of famine. I'm telling you that's the kind of promise God has promised us here at Church on the North Coast. A hundredfold promise, even in the land of famine. And I want to encourage you to sow even when it defies logic. To believe in faith even in the face of the enemy who says it's impossible. Believe a promise so big, it shames the devil. Amen. Amen. So let's hold it up before the Lord today as we bless it. As you bless it today, I just want you to declare the promise over your children and your children's children. We bless your name today, Lord, as we give. We declare in Jesus' name as we sow this seed today. It goes into the earth as a seed. It comes out like heaven. We declare restoration and redemption, reconciliation. We thank you for healing. We thank you for signs and wonders. We thank you for heaven on earth in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. As you give that, welcome my beautiful wife as she comes up here with me to preach the word today. What's that? I feel like I've all, I'm done. I should go sit down. 
feel. I'm, I'm, yeah, now I got to talk some more. I thought I was going to get a break. <laughs> uh, how, many, how many got some impossible stuff you're dealing with right now in the room? Just raise your hands. You're dealing with some impossible stuff, some stuff that it just, it, it's impossible. Yeah, yeah. Well, what I, want, what I want to share with you today is the impossible gospel. And I want you to know, come on, give me your attention. They're just bags going by. They go by every Sunday, man. Come up here. Thank you. Pay attention when it comes to you, though. Put something in there, okay? <laughs> That's how we keep the blessing of heaven keep going here. Uh, it's important that you know, because there's a spirit of the age that's attempting to make Jesus normal. And, and there is only one gospel, church, and it is the impossible gospel. It is not logical, it, it is not explainable, The impossible God, Paul said this. He said, if anybody comes preaching any other gospel than a gospel of Jesus, three days dead, resurrected on the third day, let them be cursed. If anybody come watering down the gospel, attempting to make Jesus look more dignified, more, more appealing, more relevant to society and culture and the world. Uh, uh, more, more, more digestible to a generation. If anybody come preaching any other gospel than the impossible gospel, let them be cursed. Luke 18, verse 27 Jesus says these words. Now, it's interesting to whom Jesus said these words. Jesus said these words to a rich, young ruler. He had wealth. He had years in front of him. And he had power. And I want you to hear me today. I don't care how much money's in your bank account, how, how, how young, how immortal you feel because you're young, how many years you got in front of you and you think tomorrow is guaranteed to you. The Bible said it, it is not. And he had power. And I don't care how this world looks at you. How many, how many initials are after your name? How many accolades they give you in this world? I just, want to, I just want to bring to your attention the words of Jesus that ring through eternity and into time to remind us and to check us all. Because Jesus, he said, he said, Jesus, how can I obtain eternal life? And Jesus said, sell everything you got, come follow me. And, and with those words, he went away sorrowful. And, and isn't it interesting that Jesus says these words in response to his response? He says, his disciples come to him and say, he said, it's harder, than a, it's harder for a rich man to be saved 
than it is for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. And his disciples, which, which tells you, first off, Jesus don't want you broke. Because the disciples, the disciples looked and said, well, who could be saved then? Which tells me they must have had some change in the bank. They must have had some money because they looked at Jesus and said, well, we're all doing, we're all, all of us got some money. You know, we're doing better off than everybody else. We're all doing okay. Who can be saved then is what he, they say to Jesus. And Jesus says, Jesus says this to that. The things which are impossible with men are possible with God. What does he tell us? Jesus tells us. There's only one message of the gospel, and that message is to those who are hopeless in this world, who realize the depravity of their nature, that regardless of how much money they got in the bank or, or, their, or their notoriety, how much power they have, doesn't matter how young they are, how healthy they feel, there will come a day and a time where you will, you will need the impossible of the gospel, not the logical of the gospel, not the explainable. You will need the impossible God to come out of the grave. You see, I, can't, I, I, don't, I, don't want, I don't want a normal Jesus. I don't want you to ascribe to a normal Jesus church. I don't want you to, to fall under this spell of the world that's, that's attempting to make Jesus look relevant. No, no, we need a three days dead, resurrected on the third day, part in the sea, open blind eyes. We need, we need a Jesus that does the impossible. We need a walking on the water Jesus, resurrecting a dead boy Jesus. I need a Jesus that don't make no sense. I need a Jesus that will look at my doctor and tell my doctor to be quiet and watch the works of the Lord in my life. I need a Jesus that will stand in the middle of my storm and command the waves to be still. I need a Jesus that can still do what he said he could do regardless of how many times it has gone by, regardless of the length of time. I need a Jesus that does the impossible. I need a Jesus that does the impossible when the doctor says there is no way. It is the last stage. The percentages aren't in your favor. I need a Jesus that says all things are possible. Ain't possible with doctors or lawyers or any authority down here. But I want you to know the only gospel is the gospel of the impossible. It doesn't, it doesn't, I don't care how, how far gone they appear. We need a gospel of the impossible. It's only the gospel of the impossible if it's irrational, illogical, unpredictable, and unexplainable. Now, the spirit, now there, you say, well, where did the spirit come from that wants to make Jesus normal? And it's a spirit that almost wants to apologize for being excited. It's a spirit that almost wants to apologize and rationalize believing for the impossible. And it's the spirit of a Sadducee. You see, the Sadducees were a religious sect in Jesus' day. And 
And they, which what the one thing that the New Testament described, how they described the, the Sadducees were this. They did not believe in the resurrection. And that's the spirit of a Sadducee. It wants to strip the gospel of the impossible. And they were, they were a religious sect who did not believe in the resurrection. And today we live in a world that, that is trying to normalize Christianity in such, to such a degree that it removes the resurrection of Jesus and replaces it with a social gospel of love and tolerance and acceptance of everybody regardless of, of their lifestyle. But that is not the gospel. That is not the gospel of Jesus. It's interesting that if you, if you go back and you try to figure out where they descended from, like where did the Pharisees come from? They come from Zadok. Zadok was a line of the priesthood that were, the, that were uh, descendants of Aaron, the high priest. So, so it's a warning to us. It's a warning that regardless of our, our spiritual pedigree, our knowledge, our experiences, we all could fall prey. I, I rebuke every spirit of distraction right now in this room. And I know the enemy doesn't want you to hear this. But I rebuke that spirit right now. You see, because what the enemy, the enemy wants to do is cause decay in your spiritual inheritance. This, this Zadok, they come from Aaron. They had, they had, like, they had a bloodline of a priesthood running through them. How, how could they get to the point where the bloodline of the priesthood began to decay and degenerate to such a degree that they let go of the possibility of, of the God of the impossible. What was it that caused them to normalize, to make their gospel seem more relevant? What happened to them? What happened to them? There's some things. Real quick, I just want to tell you. I want to caution us, because this is how it happened to them. First, first off, it was a conservative. They held a conservative theology. Right around the time of Herod the Great, they, they were on the scene, and they were working in alignment with the world, with the systems of the world, and with the governments of the world of Rome. And so... They began to, to partner with the world to bring their, their God in a, in a relevance to the world. And one of the things that was, that's a danger that you can see to them that served as a danger was their pretense. Because on the surface, they were, they were conservative. They had a very rigid, conservative theology. And isn't that just like the enemy? It says that 
You can develop. See, the warning is we can develop an outward appearance, a form of godliness. We can dress up. We can show up. We can say all of the things on the outside. But on the inside, we are empty. We are longing. It looks good on the outside. It looks like it looks like God in appearance, but in substance, it has the form of the gospel. But in the power of the gospel, there is no transformation. And so they became these people who had an outward appearance, long swinging robes and smoky censers they would carry around. And they would, they would give the appearance as these holy individuals but inside, Jesus said, inside the dish is dirty. They look good. So the caution is, care more about the inside than you do about the outside. Forget about what everybody else thinks. Start paying attention to what God thinks. If you want to prevent spiritual decay in your life, start paying attention. Am I living this thing in purity from my heart? What does the inside look like, not the outside? Secondly, they were compromised culturally. Culturally, they had allowed themselves to be compromised. They developed a social justice gospel. It was inspirational, but logical and dignified. You know how many people come to church and they, and they say, I must retain my composure I must retain my, my, my image and my composure. They were compromised culturally. They allowed the culture to, it, it infiltrated their character. Culture infiltrated their character to such a degree that it compromised the power of the gospel. The power of God to move in their life was compromised. This is what David said. When the spirit of a Sadducee began to attack him, his wife came at him and said, I saw you today. You lost it in front of all the people. You was out there swinging around and, and dancing, and, and, and you was out there rolling holy with all of your people. I saw you today crying out there and, and being undignified and, and letting yourself just, just have at it with God. I saw you today, and I didn't like it. And, and, and David looked at her and said, I'll become even more undignified in the presence of the Lord. And so, so you got to be careful that you don't allow the culture to come in and you don't start performing for everybody out there, that you don't allow any of the culture to influence your service to God, your, your devotion to God. And, and if I'm the devil, that's what I'm doing today. I'm using society and culture to, to, to like muddy up the waters of faith. I'm going to cause such confusion in society that culture is going to permeate the pews. It's going to get in the pulpit, and they're going, to start, they're going to start looking more and more like culture and less and less like Jesus of the Gospels. They're going to start tolerating, you know, perversion in the pulpit, perversion in the pews, perversion. They're going to start tolerating it because there's a cultural influence. So, so be cautious of how much of the culture you allow to influence you. Third, 
They were polluted politically. And if we can see any pollution today, you see, the Sadducees, they formed an alliance with the government of Israel set up by Rome. And they formed this political alliance. And in so doing, they ruined their testimony. So there's a political pollution that takes place and it comes from unholy alliances with the world systems. We, we devote ourselves to the left or the right and not Jesus. Yeah, I, I just got news for you. you. You don't belong to this side or that side. Our devotion is to Jesus. And that might not, that might, that might bother you because you, you might, you, because the enemy has done such a good job of convincing you that your ideology is the same as your theology. But I want you to know that that is a lie from the pit of hell and that is a lie that, that, that's carried by the spirit of a Sadducee in an attempt to degrade and decay your spiritual pedigree. To ruin your testimony. The spirit of a Sadducee. These, so we must then repent of any unholy alliances, any, any allowances of the world to come into our hearts, to come into our thinking, to come into our homes, to come into how we raise our kids. We must repent of it. These unholy alliances. And then lastly, there was an anti-resurrection. They were anti-resurrection. Why? Why were they anti-resurrection? Because they were power gluttons. And I got, you know, I just want you to know, you can start doing this for you instead of him. There is this, there is this caution that we do what we do because it's for us and not for him. And in so doing, they began to steal the glory that belongs to Jesus. We steal the glory. The glory belongs to Jesus. But, but what the spirit of a Sadducee attempts to do is to get you and I to, to get credit for what he's doing. And the reason we want the credit is this. The reason the Sadducees wanted the credit? Because they wanted the power. They wanted the power. And Jesus says, with man, it's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. You see, the devil wants a church that settles for normal Jesus. But I want to encourage you to put your faith only in the resurrected Jesus, only in the impossible Jesus. And I want to encourage you to reject this, this idea that Jesus is like us, that he thinks like us. I want, I want to encourage you, church on the North Coast, to reject normal Jesus. Jesus is nothing like us. Jesus is altogether holy. Jesus is high and lifted up. Jesus is glorious. Jesus is powerful. Jesus is the Son of God. Romans 1, 16 and 17 says, I'm not ashamed of what? The gospel. Why? Because it's the power of God. 
The gospel is the power of God. Paul said, I'm not ashamed to tell you that I have not subscribed to the gospel of the Pharisees or the gospel of the Sadducees. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is only the gospel of Jesus Christ that has the power to save man's soul. It is only the blood of Jesus that has the power to wash away the sins of all mankind. I am not ashamed, he said, of the power of the gospel of Jesus. I close this part with this. I, I went to the hospital to visit a woman one time and her children were arguing right over top of her and they thought she was dead. I walked in and they began to mock me. They mocked me. There was one son who was of faith and he was in the choir here. One son was of faith. The rest of her kids hated Jesus. They hated Jesus. Openly angry towards Jesus. I walked in, they began to mock me. All of them began to mock me. And, and the son began to apologize for their behavior. I said, oh, it's okay. And they said, He's, she's dead. She's not here. She's been dead for this many days. They thought she was dead. And there's some things in your life, listen, you might think they're dead. And you might, you might have some people in your life to say, throw in the towel, it's over. You may have circumstances that are telling you this. And as I walked in, they began to mock me. I just, I just, I just put my head down. I walked right over to Miss Wesolowski. And as I, I leaned up, I leaned close to her ear. This is what happened. I said, I said her name, and I said, I'm here to pray. With those words, she opened her eyes. She sat up in the bed. She sat up in the bed. And she looked at me, and she looked at her kids. As if, as if God had brought her back from the grave. And in that moment, I want you to know, she, all of her kids knew the power of the gospel. Every person in that room knew the power of the gospel, of the word of the Lord to resurrect the dead. I didn't go in there believing, and I want to encourage you. I don't care what the circumstance is. Don't you bow to it. Don't you cower to it in doubt. You walk in there. This is the job of the, of the believer, to live their life. The just shall live by faith. It's his job to resurrect. It's our job to live our life in faith. So whatever you're facing today, believe in faith. That he's the God of the impossible. Faith is your conviction that creates your belief and confidence in life. I want to tell you, take your time. I said I was going to talk really fast. Because she feels pressured right now. Because we can see the clock back there. And whether you know it or not, you get a little antsy. Let's shut the doors back there. You get a little antsy. So, so everybody lift your hands. Just go like this. Say, say it's okay, God. Your stomach's grumbling. Amen, amen, <laughs> amen. All right. I mean, my stomach starts grumbling too. So I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm hungry now. <laughs> Hebrews 11.1. 1. Now faith is the assurance, title deed, confirmation of things hoped for divinely guaranteed, and the evidence of things not seen. The conviction. Phones are going off. There must be an alert. We're going to start over. Yeah, Hebrews 11.1. 1. <laughs> you know what I do in kids' church? I know, I know I always relate to kids' church stuff, but it's so applicable to adults too, okay? I tell them, when it is Bible time, give me your serious face. You should see them. They're like, Give me your serious face. So right now, give me your serious face because it's the word and we take the word of God very seriously. 
<laughs> Hebrews 11.1, 1, it says, Now faith is the assurance, the title deed, the confirmation of things hoped for, divinely guaranteed, and the evidence of things not seen, the conviction of the reality. Faith comprehends as fact what cannot be experienced by the physical senses. For by this kind of faith, the men of old gain divine approval. Now, there is a lot of wordiness in that scripture, so I want to break it down for you. Faith, the assurance, the title deed. So when you cannot comprehend, it helps you. It comprehends as fact what you cannot experience in your physical senses. So when you can't see it, when you can't touch it, when you can't smell it, when you can't taste it, did I get them all? Faith is what helps you understand it. Faith is what helps you comprehend it. Faith in God, seeing what he said, is the assurance. Now, when some, so many years ago, I don't know, maybe going on eight or so, or nine already, time goes really fast, and, and I had this deep desire, I'd, like, well, I know why now, but I had this deep desire to have another baby. Mm-hmm. And, and we're like, he's like, what's wrong with you? Like, our yes. kids are older, right, Josie? Like, no way. What's wrong with you? Your kids are older. They can go and do everything themselves. You can leave them at home for a little while. Like, see ya. You just, so much easier. So you know, like, I know it was Jesus. And so um, after after three miscarriages and almost death twice, I know that I heard. I'm like, no, I didn't. But I I heard. She died. I was there. She wasn't. I was. She died. I did not interrupt you one time. I know, but you're not telling the truth. (laughs) Cut his mic. (laughs) But when I remember like a little spot in our basement, I used to work out and I could tell you exactly where I was and what I was doing. And it was really early in the morning. I was by myself with my worship music, listening to preaching or something. And I was working out and and I heard Holy Spirit tell me, I think it was maybe after the first or, or second miscarriage, he said, I assure you. And I remember that word. So every time I see like assurance in the Bible, I'm like, he said, I assure you, you will have a son. I will give you a son. So when, you're, when your physical senses can't touch it, can't see it. And actually, when everything says the opposite of it, you have to hold on to who God is. And not just his miracles, right? Our faith isn't what he can do for us. Our faith is in him that no matter what, I'm going to trust you, Jesus. And so I remember, and he's so good like this. I remember driving, and I really didn't even tell anybody that. Because it's almost scary to speak those things out loud because then you have to really, like, you proclaimed it. So now you have to, like, really believe it. Like, er, 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 should I say this out loud? This is kind of scary. I'm going to keep this in between me and Jesus. That's it. But I remember driving down a road, and I saw this, this sign on the side of the building. And it, it, was, it said, assurance. Literally, it was the next day or that morning. And I'm like, seriously like that's so weird like I've never even seen this sign before and it was some kind of company I don't even know what it was but like Holy Spirit reminded me stop I assure you I assure you stop but when everything is speaking death around you and and not only that like financial financial um 
problems coming upon you then because now you have all these doctor bills to pay for. So it's like, are you serious right now? This is not happening. Like it's everything opposite is what is happening. You have to hold on to it because we have a divine guarantee a divine guarantee. The word says in Hebrews 11, you have a divine guarantee. So you have to hold on to heaven's guarantee. Hold on to um, heaven's promises. Even when all hell breaks loose, you get the title deed, get the title deed and hold it up for the enemy to see. Do you know how like when you go and you pay a bill and you pay something and it says, print this page for confirmation. Print that page and you take the word and you say, devil, I have the word and this is what is against you. I have the confirmation deed. I have, I have what, what I need to show you heaven's guarantee. I know like we had recently an electric bill and it, and it came in and I'm like, why is our electric bill double? What is going on? Oh my gosh. Like it haven't even been that cl- We haven't used the air that much. And I looked at the, and I looked and I went back. And I looked and made sure I paid it because sometimes I'll like pay it. And he's like, did you forget to press send again? And so I didn't know. I did press send. I looked. It was deducted from our checking. I looked. I had the confirmation page. You got to hold on to the confirmation page to show it, to have that heaven's guarantee, the proof. So even when your eyes can't see it yet, even when your hands can't touch it or you can't smell it or taste it, look every day. Look every day, like God told Abraham, look up, Abraham, look at the stars, look at my promises. Remember what I told you, because my word will come to pass. My word will come to pass. In Hebrews eleven three, it says, by faith, this is what an inherent trust and enduring confidence in the power, wisdom, and goodness of God. We understand that the world, universe, ages were framed and created, formed, put in order and equipped for their intended purposes by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things which are visible. So don't be worried if it's not visible yet. Mm-hmm. Don't be worried if it's not visible yet. When it seems ridiculous and everything is actually opposite, hold on to what God said because he does not change. He does not change. He does not lie and he can't. Even when it's hard, because I know those, those senses are real, right? Those emotions are real. The pain is real. It's not, that's not fake. Like, that's real stuff. That's real pain. And so even when all of that is hard, hold on to what God said, to what his word says. My faith is in his word, and the truth is my assurance that it is established. And then in Hebrews 11 too, it said by this kind, because you have a different kind of faith. You have a different kind of faith. I want everybody to say it with me. Say, I have a different kind of faith. And so when that comes against you, I want you to say it again. Say it again. I have a different kind of faith. And that's what I want you to tell the enemy. In Hebrews 12 2, Hebrews 12, 2, it says, looking away from all that will distract us. So don't even look at it. Don't even look at it. Don't even think about it. Get your senses fixed on something else. So replace it with looking at, I love the, um, the story of um, Dodie Osteen. She, was, she had a, a, a doctor say she was going to only live for, what, six weeks or something like yeah, that. In so her she, 40s. 
in her 40s. So she put a picture of herself looking skinny and healthy and whole and strong, and she put it up on her fridge, and that's what she looked at every single day. So even if you have to look at something else, even if you have to um, listen to something else, just consume all of your senses with what God's word says. So don't even look at it. So looking away from all that will distract us, focusing our eyes on Jesus, who is the author and perfecter of our faith, the first incentive for our belief and the one who brings our faith to maturity, who for the joy of accomplishing the goal set before him endured the cross. That's no give up, the no give up kind. Disregarding the shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God revealing his deity and authority and the completion of his work. Revealing. So God will reveal himself in and through your life. See, it might be kind of shameful. It might be kind of scary to share that with somebody. No, like God told me I was going to have a son. God told me he was going to heal me. God told me he was going to do this for me. It feels shameful because it's like, but it's not happening yet. Or it, did, it doesn't, it looks, I'm taking all of this on. He took all of it on the cross. He took all of that pain on the cross. All of that shame on the cross. Stay focused and fixed on Jesus. So focused on him that all else is a distraction. Everything else is a distraction because he is the only thing that is real. And I love this in Hebrews 12 too. Again, look at this again. It says he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Get into the throne room and go and rest there. He went in and he sat down at the right hand. So sit with him. Get so confident that you're like, well, God, I gave it to you. I'm going to go into the throne room. I'm going to get in your face, and I'm just going to sit down. Because you take your place at the right hand of the throne of God. Sit down and be with him. Why are you messing with me? I was just seeing. In my serious moments, too. I was seeing when you're going to share the other. I was seeing if they'll. Finish the story. Yeah, you finish the story. I was going to. Okay, okay, good. Okay. Finish the story now. Like, Man, that's I'm gonna start story. scrolling through his notes when he's doing this next time. <laughs> I did it when you were up there. I didn't do he's it when you were back there. here. Is Micah back there. I told you to cut his. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> What do you want to do now? Okay, so I'm gonna finish the story now. So when we, after this, we decided to foster, and it was actually his idea. And so we decided to, which is a miracle in itself, yeah. So we decided to foster, and we fostered um, several children, eight children out of our home in in like three to four years. And it was awesome and amazing and got to pour into these kids' lives and love on them. And we still have a relationship with some of them. And so it's it's just beautiful what God, God did through all of that. But the never would we have thought that the little, the second little boy that we got would need us forever probably the hardest one too because God knew God put that desire in me to have him because he knew from the very beginning that he needed us that he needed us so sometimes it might not look like what you think it's supposed to look like God might not heal you the way that you think it's supposed to be healed God might not answer the prayer the way that you think it should be answered, but he's so good, and he will reveal himself through you, through other people, and do it for others also. 
He's such a good God that way. And so the little boy that came into our home at eight months old is now ours forever. He's ours forever now. God knew that he was going to need us. And one day I'm like, he's like, see, I told you. I told you I was going to give you a son. But it wasn't just about me. It was about him too. And it was about his great, 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 great grandparents' prayers that, that were like patriarchs and matriarchs here that had prayed for their grandkids long, long before. And so putting your faith in him, knowing that no matter what, God, no matter what. I remember walking through our backyard and we had this beautiful property in our old house. And I remember he was in Israel and I remember laying my hands because I hadn't passed the baby yet. And I said, God, I know I believe in you, and I know that if you want to, you can make this baby come alive right in my Ugh. womb. And I believe it. I believe it. And I believed it. And I knew it. But you know what? If he slayed me, guess what? I will trust him. I will trust him because I'm not looking after his miracle. My faith isn't in his miracle. My faith isn't in what he can do for come me. On. My faith is in him. No matter what, I am with him. So I can come into the throne room and I can sit down and I can rest in him, in his place, with him, knowing that no matter what, I have my Savior. That's why I was looking at her notes, man. So let's, let's close, let's close. As we close, I want to tell you that that the gospel is a gospel of now. The gospel is a gospel of right now. He is the God of right now. And what does the enemy do? He brings impossible situations that scare you and defy the promise of God. So, no, you know, everybody wants an impossible God, but nobody really wants an impossible circumstance, right? We want the impossible God, but God, if I could just forego the impossible circumstance or, or the impossible, because impossible is scary, right? Isn't it? Impossible is scary. If you're dealing with impossibilities right now, you know that impossible is scary, impossible, like, it wears you out. Impossible wears you out. Impossible is like, I got to keep believing, and I'm tired. I got to keep believing, and I keep seeing. I don't see the promise, but I, but I believe in the impossible. God, I believe you are able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that I could ask, think, or imagine. I still believe in the impossible God. So I need you to know that he is the God of the impossible, and that gospel is for you right now. Because that's what the enemy does. He just wants to wear you down with time in the impossible realm. He wants to, if he could just drag you into the impossible realm and wear your faith down long enough. And if you ask me, I'm going to tell you the reason people die prematurely is because they get sucked into the impossible realm and they don't carry enough faith into that realm with them to endure the trials and the testing of their faith long enough. And, and God, listen, I'm not, this is, I say this with all humility. Sometimes we get there and we're like, just look, man, I'm ready to check out, go home, be with Jesus. I'm cool. You know, because 
because that's what happened to my dad. He, he died there. But, but I want you to know, like, he had enough faith. If he had just stayed in the realm of faith, he could have kicked it. He could have beat it. He could have walked out of the valley of the shadow of death. And I want you to know today that the gospel is the gospel of now. In Luke 18, it says this. In 28, it says, Peter says, see, Jesus, we're living in impossible times. We've left everything. We follow you. And Jesus says to them, assuredly, 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 I say to you, there is no one who has sold out to me who has lost and, and has lost anything in this, in this world, their, their house, their parents, their brothers or wife or children, for the sake of the kingdom of the gospel. Yeah. Now here's the part you need to circle, highlight, hang on your refrigerator to remind yourself when you go into the impossible because he says, who shall not receive many times more in this present time. In this present time, he says. In this present time. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, now faith is. Faith is right now. Now faith is. He said, I'm going to reward you. The gospel is a gospel for now. I want to encourage you. I know it's impossible. I know it's scary. I know it's testing. I know it's wearing you out. But we will never know the resurrection without the impossible. But we must know the resurrected Jesus in order to know the impossible breaker. Name Jesus. It's impossible. I got it. When impossible is the only option, we, only, the, we, we all need the impossible gospel. When, when impossible is like, I'm in impossible, we need the impossible gospel. So as we close, I remind you of the deposit of faith that's in you. Romans 12, verse 3 says, He has given to each of us a deposit of faith. It's useless. I want you, look at me. Faith is useless in eternity. <laughs> Faith is, is need, you don't need it in eternity. You don't need faith in the presence of the Lord. Whenever Jesus walks into the room, the last thing you ask for is can I have some more faith, Jesus? When you're in the presence of him, you don't need him. And so I tell you that because I want you to know that deposit that he gave you is for the impossible you're facing. And he says he gave you, he gave you a measure of, him, of this, this water-walking, death-defying, walking through the valley of the shadow of death faith. He gave you a measure. And here's the thing. You can never lose the measure. You can never use up the measure, but you can increase it. The Bible teaches us that. He said the one he gave one, the other two, the other five. None of them could lose it. None of them could like, he, once he gave it to you, it's yours. Now what you do with it, it's up to you. Because impossible's coming. It's coming. So faith is for today. Today is the day of salvation. Psalms 27 verse 13 says, I would have lost heart unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. 
Jesus is the God of right now. Faith in Jesus is hope for today and confidence for eternity. I took a trip to Haiti one time. I took many trips to Haiti. I told, I told everyone, don't lose your passport. Protect your passport. Put it away. Protect your passport. They didn't listen. They lost. One of the girls lost her passport. It was time to leave the next day. She had to graduate high school. And in my mind, I thought, in my natural mind, I thought, I'm stuck in Haiti for at least two months trying to figure this out. I have to stay here. I have to figure this out. And then something inside of me said, no. Now faith is. I'm the God of right now. I will move heaven and earth for my sons and daughters. And what I saw happen in the next 24 hours was nothing short of impossible. Every time I go somewhere, they tell me, this is impossible. We can't get you this document today. I'd go to the embassy and they said, this is impossible. It can't happen today. I talked to my driver and they said, Troy, it's impossible. The traffic is too heavy. You know, we drove down a road with no traffic on it to the embassy to get out that day. Within 24 hours, God cleared the traffic. God gave the documents. God put us on a plane and we arrived back home within 24 hours. The very next day at that same time, we got home. He's the God of the impossible. So don't throw away your summer clothes because we're in the middle, well, not right now, but pretend like we're in the middle of winter. When you're in the middle of winter in a time of testing, right? We're going, don't be surprised because in um, 1 Timothy 6, 12, it says, fight the good fight of faith. It's a good fight. You know why? Because he already won. The same resurrection power lives in us. It lives in you. So don't throw away your summer clothes because you're in the middle of a winter season. Don't give up on your faith. Don't lose faith. Don't lose that trust in God because you're cold and you're, you're tired of looking at dead things and dreary things in the winter because summer is coming. Yeah. And the joy that we get from trials, I know that's a hard verse, James 1, 2 through 4. Consider it nothing but joy. My brothers and sisters, whenever you fall into various trials, be assured the testing of your faith through experience produces endurance, leading to spiritual maturity and inner peace. And let the endurance have its perfect result and do a thorough work so that you may be perfect and completely developed in your faith, lacking nothing. There's an inner peace there. There's an inner peace. So if you're not in that position now, where you're able to count it joy because you're still weeping and you're in the winter. Joy's coming for you. It's coming. Hold on. Hold on. It's coming. When you can't see it, it's coming. When you can't feel it, all the senses, you can't taste it, you can't smell it, it's still there. It's there. He's there. He says, I assure you, he's with you. He's not going to leave you. He's not going to let you go ever. He's holding on tight. 
So we want to pray over you. I want everybody to stand up. I know that there's so many of you going through a difficult winter season right now. And the pain is real. The emotions are real. But I want you to look away from everything that will distract you. Everything that will try to take your eyes off of Jesus. And we just want to pray over you. Pray strength over you. And joy over you in the middle of that tr- the trials and the testing. You don't know how strong you are until you test it. Did you know that? Think of Stephen. Like he was able to look up. He saw Jesus while he was getting rocks thrown at him. Rocks. Like rocks thrown at him. And he was still able to trust God and believe him. So lift your hands with me now. Everybody lift your hands. Psalm 119. I just want to give you this scripture. Psalm 119 verse 50. I want you to see it on the screens as your hands are lifted. This is what it says. Read that. Your promises, they revive me. It comforts me in all my trouble. I declare, God, the Spirit of the Lord will revive you right now in faith that you feel revived by the Spirit of the living God. Right now, I declare, God, Jesus, give me faith for the impossible. I pray faith for the impossible. And God, I pray that you would increase my faith and God, that you would help me in the areas of my unbelief right now, God. I give you every doubt, every every ounce of doubt. I surrender it to you now. And I declare you are the God of the impossible. Revive your people like only you can. They shall see the promises of God in the land of the living. You are a God of right now. We declare right now, even in the next 24 hours, we shall see the hand of God move miraculously for your people. We believe in faith, God. You said keep asking, seeking, knocking. You wouldn't have told us to ask, seek, or knock if you weren't going to answer our prayers. We thank you that you are a God that answers the prayers of the righteous. And not only that, God, but our prayers avail. Our prayers avail much. When we pray, heaven moves. We thank you for angels that are dispatched over our children and over our, our, our loved ones, God. We thank you, God, that you are the God of the impossible and that you move right now. If you're in this room, you're watching online, you've never given your heart to Christ. You've never surrendered your heart to Christ. Christians are praying. You're here. You're, you're in this room. There's only two ways you walk out of this room. There's only two ways. You walk out redeemed, blood-bought, going to heaven, able to bring heaven to the earth, or you walk out condemned, destined for a hell that was not created for you. And I pray right now, if you're in this room, you're backslidden, you're cold on God, that you would surrender your heart to Christ right now. Every head bowed, every eye closed. If that's you, you're in this room, you're watching online, pray this prayer with me. Lord Jesus, I ask you to forgive me of my sin. Come into my heart. Make me brand new. Revive me. I repent. I give you my life. Take it now and change this world with it. All for your glory. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Live right. Love everybody. Pray hard. God bless you. Thank you. Thank you for coming.